Hello, 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 everybody. It is so good to see you guys today. We have an amazing guest today. Uh, Isla Mack is with us. I'm going to bring her right in because she is here in the backstage area. And so why, why drag this out, right? So let's talk to Isla. Hi, Isla. How are you? Hi, I'm fine. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, Isla, I would love it if you would start off by telling the audience about yourself. Tell, tell us a bit about your background. Um, okay, I, um, I have uh, a clinical background. So I was a principal le a university lecturer um, and uh, I worked in HIV and sexual health. Um, I, my academic area was public health um, and I taught um, global public health. Um, so that's kind of essentially why I kind of got interested in the whole trans and gender ideology issue. Because um, obviously, you know, it was, I could see it was a big medical scandal going on. Now, I prepped for uh, this discussion by listening to your content. And right. to say that it was distressing is an understatement. Because the thing about you is that um, you are someone who came from the education sector. So you were actually teaching future health professionals. And so you right. were in a unique position to observe the sea change in the approach to medical education in the UK. So when did you notice that there was a change and what was that change? So I was, um, I was also a chair of governors, uh, school governors uh, in my kind of uh, off time because I had children uh, as a parent. Um, and it was kind of a combination, really, uh, of this kind of seepage. Um, but by that time, I was doing uh, less in the way of clinical work and more teaching. Um, but I was spending quite a lot of time on Twitter um, doing my kind of with my professional hat on. Um, but I could see very much that there was more and more parents turning up every day wondering what the hell was going on. Um, and thought that because it's, it actually takes quite an inordinate amount of time to research, because we've all had to become many specialists, really, haven't we, about, mm -hmm. you know, learning all about, you know, medicine, epidemiology, public health, um, all these different facets. So I thought uh, parents needed a bit of help to work out how they could work with their schools through their complaints process, because essentially right from the get-go, schools were being very hostile to parents and saying that they were essentially transphobic. Um, so I, I basically decided that there was a kind of hybrid needed. Um, uh, so yeah, I guess my channel is a little bit, um, I hope you weren't shocked like in, in a bad way. <laughs> but um, you know, that you could see, you know, essentially, we're at the point now where the medical establishment are ravaged, savaged, you know, um, they've been completely and utterly captured um, right across the board from all the different medical bodies, you know, uh, research bodies, research funding, you know, through obviously people working at government level, policy makers. Um, I mean, and the important things and why this is really relevant. And I think one of the things that you were interested in when you saw the, the talk that I did with Robbie and Barry um, was about the impact of that on clinical practice um, 
and uh and that's you know certainly something maybe we can tease out a little bit if you'd like mm -hmm. um look look all that i know is that when i read about there being a over a five thousand percent increase in young women showing up at those clinics because you had pointed out that uh, prior to whatever it was that triggered this interest in the trans movement and people identifying as trans, that it was really more young men and middle-aged men who tended to attend these clinics. But all of a sudden, there was this explosion, a 5,300% increase in young women, many of whom were on the autism spectrum, and among mm. them, many of whom, as you put it, you said it, that they presented with comorbidities, whether it was cutting, mm. uh, eating disorders, all of that. And look, I am not a statistician and I am not a medical professional, but I can tell you, well, maybe it's because I'm a journalist. If I saw that giant explosion in one particular group of people who were all of a sudden flocking to any kind of clinic for any kind of treatment, I would want to know why that is. And mm. it seems like nobody has really taken an interest in that. And I find that pretty distressing, actually. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is wholly respect, <laughs> distressing, really. And I think that because of the level of capture that we've got to, what they've essentially tried to do is they've tried to completely and utterly de deconstruct the idea that, that sex, um, you know, biological essentialism and introduce mm -hmm. this concept of sex as a, as a spectrum and that we all have this innate gender identity, essentially. Um, which is basically built on, on an idea of regressive, um, you know, gendered, gendered stereotypes, um, mm -hmm. and that we all have this gender identity. But, but for for in terms of healthcare, we have these multiple touch points in, in how that's impacted upon us all. Because obviously, we've got women and single sex faces. We've got the kind of healthcare issues, and that relates to uh, trans people and their bodies. Uh, and the medical harms that are being committed against them, essentially. Um, we've got the bigger funding issue. Um, we've got the social hysteria from children, which is what you were talking about. And then we've got mm -hmm. the intersection of how that then rolls into schools and young people and adolescents. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, maybe we can kind of start from the top and think about, sure. um, let's start from um, the kind of issue of, because I know one of the things that you were interested in was the story on the biological sex part and how, you know, the thing, the story that I mentioned about the kind of kidney failure. Mm -hmm. So let me right. maybe explain that first. Mm -hmm. um, essentially what's, what's happened is that within um, medicine and clinical practice, you know, um, one's biology is absolutely fundamental so that we can give effective um, and safe medical care. Um, and your heart, lungs, internal organs, you know, don't change just because you stick bits on your body or fiddle with your end your hormones. Um, and blood values are, are really, really incredibly important. Um, and what we need to know what, whether you're a man or a woman, essentially. Uh, so the fact that what they've done is essentially uh, gone into because of the lobbying of of um, 
uh, the NHS, for an example, in, you know, in the UK, um, they've they're now trying to erase the the idea of sex, um, and they are supplementing that for gender identity. So, in the case that I, I mentioned in the video that you were interested in, essentially what we had was this misdiagnosis, and this was actually a story which is taken from a very good friend of mine's book that she she mentioned um, called Born in the Wrong Body by Liskap Itliata. Um, uh, Isadora Sanger is her nom de plume, uh, and I highly recommend this book to everyone. Essentially, um, a trans male, so a female, um, had some serious renal disease because probably because of the high levels of testosterone she was on and maybe some underlying issues. Um, but she went, kept going along with her deteriorating kidney function. And obviously she had quite a slight body mass index because she was a female. Um, now, her um, she kept being assessed by the blood values that related to a male-bodied person, so a man. Um, so this meant that she was um, she was denied a kidney, a life-saving kidney uh, transplant for an extra year, because <laughs> had she been assessed according to her female body, she would have gone straight onto the transplant list um, because you know the values are different for men and for women. Um, so she could have lost her life because of this. Um, and by the time she did actually hit the transplant uh, point, her body had deteriorated significantly and she'd lost a lot of body mass. Um, and she was, you know, she could have she could have died or rejected the, the organ. Luckily, I think she mm -hmm. did survive. And this case was obviously written up in a medical journal. Um, but this has not been done for them. This has been done um, by their request. And I'll tell you a couple of, areas that this has become very relevant and um, blood blood products um, so when we uh, require a blood transfusion it's it's always been um, very important for us to know whether you're getting blood being given to you from uh, a male or a female mm -hmm. now because lobbyists have basically bullied the blood transfusion service into removing um, this sexed marker, there's now a potential that um, males will re will receive um, blood from females who've been pregnant in the past. And that now mm -hmm. increases their risk of having serious uh, transfusion reactions to them. So that's not a small issue. And there's absolutely right. no benefit to the blood transfusion service doing this, apart from to make people feel a little bit better while they're sitting in the room giving blood you know, saying that we value your gender identity, but medically, mm -hmm. you know, that's a dangerous thing. Um, and... um, Go on. Is it, you had mentioned in one of your videos that midwives were actually teaching their students that men can have babies, but you said yes. biological men can have babies. Well, Midwives this... are teaching students that biological men can have children. We have this language slippage, don't we? But this ha happened at Napier University in Edinburgh. And um, it's I, I am absolutely certain it's happening across the UK now. And again, this, this is because of this um, indoctrination and power um, that's been... Uh, 
and the capitulation basically to lobby groups, uh, which is a very serious issue. And we know that students are being punished if they don't um, put forward this incredibly scientifically inaccurate information within their essays. So mm -hmm. if they don't use things like assigned at birth, they will be penalized. Now that makes my me incredibly infuriates because no one is assigned at birth where it's not a sorting hat you know we're accurately uh, determined in utero and then we're recorded at birth um mm -hmm. but again this is you know another lobbying issue um mm -hmm. i mean another area which is really important um has been in public health screening um so <laughs> you Obviously, women are invited for cervical screening um, and men for uh, abdominal aortic aneurysm screening, as an example, when they're a bit older. Now, um, what's happened is that people who are assuming uh, self-ID and a special gender identity are having their NHS records completely changed and having new NHS numbers and their biological sex deleted. Uh, from and their histories and so they're then complaining that they're not being so a trans man who's a woman is being is complaining that if she's now not being invited for cervical screening and a male who's a trans female a trans woman rather and I I will clarify later that I actually hate all of these words with a, with a yeah. passion um, but basically he's now been invited for a cervix screen that he doesn't he doesn't possess a cervix um so you can see that how much of a massive a, a waste of time this is mm -hmm. uh for the nhs and b uh a serious life-threatening issue worthy to have had cancer that was completely missed um the other right. thing is is that data data we need data accurate data because that's how funding for the nhs is worked out you know mm -hmm. The way you get money uh, in the UK for your services is accurate to know accurate information about how many people you have of certain um, groups. So if you stop recording accurate sex data, then that all goes out the window. So you you know people will have seen this huge amount of time that we spend arguing in lawfare around sex and gender cases. See, the thing is that um, for people who live in the United States, where we do not have medicine controlled centrally by the government, unless you're on yeah. Medicaid or Medicare, um, all of this sounds bizarre, okay? And <laughs> a lot of people in the United States, a lot of the activists I've spoken to, have pushed back against me and said, well, who cares about the crime statistics? What difference does it make? If, if you have it down that um, a woman is being executed, a woman is on death row, a woman committed a rape, a woman committed a murder, whatever, and it's a trans woman, what difference does it make? Well, in the case of the mm. NHS, we can see that it makes an enormous amount of difference. In a place mm. where um, there are long waiting lists to get medical care, in a place where... Um, and I, and I said this to my audience just the other day, who is ultimately going to get screwed over? It's going to be women. When you start trudging men into a gynecologist's office to get a cervical screening, guess who doesn't get that appointment? 
And guess who is actually at risk for cervical cancer and other mm. um, gynecological cancers? It's not the men who are being paraded in there. And so this to me, I mean, I, the, the thing that astonishes me about it, well, you yourself said in one of your videos that um, you are now talking to people who are doctors, who were junior doctors during the AIDS crisis. Uh, who are gay men, and they're totally on board with this insanity, you know? Mm. Um, and it's, it's, it's sad to me. It's sad mm. to me because you see a lot of members of the gay community who are pushing back very, very hard against this ideology because they see how it is impacting the gay community, not just in mm. terms of um, the way that they're perceived, but also... Uh, in very real terms, you know, when a lesbian when a lesbian is being told that she must have sex with a, with an individual with a penis, or else be called a sexual racist by the lesbian who is running Stonewall, then you end up with a problem. But when you're talking about the NHS, I mean, it it boggles the mind that it has happened as quickly as it has, because relatively speaking, it has happened very very quickly. Hmm. <clears throat> the um it has been it has been quick you're right um and i think one of the things which is really upsetting um and is certainly something which is bringing more and more people into the movement if you like is the issue of language erasure erasure um and i don't know how this affects you in the in the states but certainly what we've got is this massive war over the body where um what happened was uh, they went Basically, what we are now cervix havers. We are um, chest right. feeders, um, mm -hmm. you know, period havers, menstruators, etc. We have front holes, and men um, have um, become so they went from being trans women one word to trans women two words. Now they're just women, and now they're female, and now some of them are calling themselves adult human female. Whereas in, so if you look at a back-to-back -back campaign run by a, a cancer, a massive cancer charity, for example, you'll have a prostate, uh, the men's prostate uh, cancer will call them men. So all the men's right. language is, is intact, but in mm -hmm. the women's category, you'll have them um, erased. And this is important, not just because it's incredibly, <laughs> we're being erased as a, as a sex class, uh, or we're being given a derivation as we're being called cis, like we're a subcategory of our own sex class. Right. Um, we also have to think about women, for for example, who's for English, who's is their second language, mm -hmm. and we also have a lot of survey evidence through you know uh, research methods to say that that many women do not actually know what a cervix is. Um, mm -hmm. So. Uh, that's highly problematic by removing the word women um, because, you know, and this er this erosion has just sort of, you know, essentially putting more and more women in jeopardy. Um, and it's not ethical because we're building, we're building thing upon thing here. Essentially what we're now looking at is a kind of duty of care where privacy and dignity of women is also being erased because of the issue of people being able to opt into our sex class and self-ID. So if you think about staff, for example, I don't know what it's like in the US, but over here you could always um, ask for a female member of staff to do your cervical smear or a, a mammogram. Um, 
-hmm. And this was also always sort of basic safeguarding principle and essentially, you know, a legal right because we have always had uh, these uh, accommodation, single sex spaces, wherever there was some um, area where women and girls were going to, where nudity occurred in a public arena, um, in toilets, changing rooms, you know, hospitals, schools, prisons, etc. Um, but essentially, if we then see that men can now become women, and this is certainly something which is very problematic and, and on the agenda in every tweet today in terms of the Scottish government stuff that right. we can maybe talk about later. But mm -hmm. in terms of single sex wards, um, you've got, well, you've got staff now, any male can now identify as a female, but also their women's right, therefore, to have a female is being taken away. And if you think about a paralyzed woman, um, an incapacitated woman, when I mean, we're talking about, you know, someone in ITU, we're talking about very intimate things like, you know, having your tampon changed, you know, cleaning your vulva, doing catheter care. I mean, this is, mm -hmm. this is the ultimate, ultimate issue of, of invasion of privacy, where dignity should be something which you are afforded. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, that's been erased. Um, and that's then been built on in terms of the loss of, of single sex wards within the NHS, because my fantasy in America is that you have a lot of cubicles mm -hmm. because of your private health care, perhaps. I mean, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but but we have open bays. We don't have a right. lot of side rooms. Right. We only have a couple of side rooms maybe on on each ward. And they are highly sought after across the country for infectious diseases um if you're you know maybe if you were dying you might be very lucky but mostly it's for infectious diseases where they, you have to be barrier nursed um so what you now have is men on women's wards um and a number of policies have erased one specific policy called annex b came along and um rode roughshod through this understanding that we had um, single sex wards and essentially what we've had is a number of rapes and sexual assaults happened mm -hmm. and women being gaslit that right. there was a this was talked about in the house of lords i don't know if you saw it on twitter baroness nicholson mm -hmm. of winterbourne she basically mm -hmm. um has been incredibly active at trying to get rid of annex b but a woman was raped and what they said was um no rape could have taken place because no man was on the ward Right, uh, and so her mental health deteriorated significantly, and she had a breakdown. Um, and it wasn't until they essentially there was CCTV evidence to prove mm -hmm. that obviously there was a man. Uh, and in in the UK, uh, only a man, only a man, a male can rape with a you know right. you have to have a penis. It's just a matter of law. But th this just wasn't one case. There's been, you know, quite a lot of cases. Um, and then you have obviously the issues of residential care, mental health wards, where you're on a mental health section. You know, if you're incapacitated, um, uh, disabled women, um, you know, lots of vulnerable women through who've been subject to domestic violence. You know, who are have sub, you know, I mean, there's so many things that you can come up with. Um, but we know that disabled women and these sort of vulnerable categories are twice as likely to be 
victims of sexual assaults in this type of arena because of course they're easy pickings mm-hmm. um and you know nothing is going to be done about this it's just going to be it's ideology over reality because the the most um this most vulnerable class of people who actually come from the most you know powerful class of people mm-hmm. are basically you know are are oppressing us um mm-hmm. and you know bowling over in terms of every, riding roughshod over all policy and practice um there was another woman who uh, I know superficially. She had um, uh, she was getting really complicated bowel surgery done at a private hospital in in London with two surgeries, uh, two theatres full of really complicated uh, equipment to run this very specialist bit of operation she needed. Mm-hmm. She had was a victim of sexual violence, and she specifically asked for her uh, procedure for her the interaction that she had to have female only care. Um, and basically, what happened was a, a, a trans um, uh, uh, trans woman uh, I de- walked into the room while she was being examined for no other reason, essentially, other than to you know, intimidate her, it would seem. That's what it would mm-hmm. seem like. And mm-hmm. basically what happened uh, is that the hospital cancelled her operation just before she went in and said that her values were not in accordance with their values. Right. Um, and were it not for the intervention of Baroness Nicholson of Winterbourne and a load of women going and protesting outside of the hospitals um, and kicking off on Twitter, etc., uh, she probably would, well, she probably would have died, to be honest, but she mm-hmm. did have to have much more complicated surgery because she it was delayed because of all of this. That's right. Um, and and that, that got a lot of media attention, that case. And we're seeing, I mean, I had seen this in the case of the Rape Crisis Center that was um, run by a man, essentially, who didn't reveal yeah. that he was transgender when he applied for a job that had been designated for a woman. And these rape victims were coming in and they were being essentially um, uh, badgered and told, look, um, if you show any signs of being uh, being transphobic, which is basically anything these days, then they were going to put them through some kind of a weird indoctrination <clears throat> to convince yeah. them that it was perfectly okay to have men side by side in a rape crisis center that was meant for women. Now, um, again, like you said, uh, talk about some of the most vulnerable people in the population who are now being harangued and browbeaten in this kind of Maoist style of, um, uh, you know, it's almost like the cultural revolution. It's absolutely insane. And look at the reaction, mm-hmm. for example, of J.K. J.K. Rowling wanting to open a female-only rape crisis center, mm-hmm. and the reaction that she's gotten, painting her out to be this fascist. This is where we've come to. This is this is the point at which we have arrived, and it is absolutely astounding. Yeah, no, I completely agree. In fact, um, that guy is um, is actually legally a male. Um, and mm-hmm. doesn't have a, a GRC. He didn't tell them that he was a, a male when he went for right. the, the, the interview, which was advertised for a, 
for a woman. What he said was that women needed to reframe their trauma. Right. Uh, reframe their raped. trauma. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you can, yeah. yeah, it gives you a visceral response when you think about it, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, it's just so upsetting. Um, so <laughs> the other thing that has happened on the same, on a similar vein is that um, some NHS policies have now said that um, that women who basically complain about uh, a male, uh, a transgender uh, uh, male being next to them in a ward uh, are basically tantamount to being racists, um, right? And should and should be treated as as racists, as hostiles, uh, because they're just essentially transphobic. And that if that should, you know, if that's put down on your record, you should, they, they would essentially ask you to leave and not treat you mm -hmm. again. Um, mm -hmm. Because you basically didn't want a, a you know, a bloke next to you, uh, or your mm -hmm. granny or whatever. And bearing in mind, you know, what, what are you doing when you're in a hospital ward, you are seriously unwell you are dying you are you know in a lot of pain you are you are everything but sitting there being okay aren't you i mean if you're actually in hospital you are there for a reason uh and generally it involves being uh, a loss of dignity and often right. being you know fairly undressed etc um so the other thing that comes up a lot in that kind of argument is well okay in in this particular one i'm talking thinking about which was a scottish hospital called aaron and i uh, will come to me um basically what they said was um ask the the trans woman if she's okay and then get give her a side room um to because you know they're basically special um and this use of this third space of side rooms come up comes up quite a lot but um, any any clinician will tell you that this is a serious serious issue, and that they are they are not there for people with special feelings. Um, you know they are highly, as I said before, fought after. Um, I mean, this week you've probably seen we've got all these strikes going on in the UK, nurses and paramedics, etc. But at the same time. The NHS is advertising for a director of lived experience. For what is a like director? What what in the <laughs> hell is a director of lived experience? I know it's just bollocks, isn't it? Basically, yes, it's just offensive. It's so offensive. <laughs> um, so it's more just you know, it's the sort of thing Barry would go completely nuts over. It's just you know, um, exactly diversity and inclusion <laughs> and all the rest of it. Um, <laughs> It, he would just blow his head. I could just see him doing a whole... He probably will do a whole video just on that one job description, basically. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, but, the, you know, on the other side of the fence, then, putting, you know, the, the kind of the woman to the side, you've then got the issue of the people doing having these harms um, on their bodies done. Mm -hmm. Because essentially, it's being sold as a kind of... Um, something which will improve their mental health uh you know their mental well-being and change their lives and for many people what they're now finding is in fact it, that that's not what it's doing um you know we're being told it's it's it isn't an illness it's not a mental health issue 
Right. Um, but you need to solve it by having drugs and surgery. Mm -hmm. um, and then you've got this long list of iatrogenic harms being caused, um, which are horrific. You know, mm -hmm. the detransitioner stories that are coming out now mm -hmm. are genuinely horrific, seeing what has, yes. has been mm -hmm. done to their bodies. Um, uh, I mean, I'd, I'm sure you've probably um, caught caught some of them, but the the thing that's worrying about the what will happen about these detransitioners is it, people are talking about them taking legal action, which um, you know I hope that you know I hope that they do, and I hope that's possible. However, yeah. um, that comes down to certainly in the UK an issue of um, them medical negligence is actually quite hard to prove. Um, because we have this thing called the Bolum test, where um, it's a kind of, you know, it's like a standard of practice recognized where you, if a, a reasonable body of medical men would have done the same thing, um, mm. which is a case that goes back to something like 19, in 1950s or something, Bolum via Freern, which basically says um, that, you know, if they would have done it, then that's okay. And this is the problem with everyone right. using WPATH, etc. Um, because essentially what you've got is these high, high levels of, you know, cancer, DBTs, strokes, all of these increased exponential, exponentially increased risks um, happening to these young people's bodies. Mm -hmm. But because there's never not been any proper studies put in place, because they've right. Cap they've captured all of the, uh, you know, the research bodies, then <laughs> they've shot, kind of shot themselves in the foot. Like I said in, before, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a real mess, um, which is kind of why I have been trying to focus in at source in terms of trying to deal with the children issue. Um, mm -hmm. And and the adult side is complex and that's the area where you get into tricky footing where people have like a real you know mishmash of views you know whether some people feel very strongly that the adults should be able to do what they want to do with their bodies right. and then it has this knock-on effect on other people the other sex classes but for me i'm basically just focusing on the kids because I think that's a clearer, a clearer position to argue in terms of the evidence-based practice that I believe, you know, so so um, strongly uh, about. Uh, and so that's why I spent all of this work getting involved in trying to help parents on schools, basically. Well, there were two um, issues that jumped out at me, two that, that really caught my attention. One of them is the connection between autism and kids attending these clinics claiming to have been born yeah. in the wrong body that's the number one and number two is the suicide statistics now the suicide mm. statistics struck me as bullshit again it's just it's just an instinct it was just a hunch that i had and my hunch was strengthened when i tried finding the source of these numbers and i finally mm. found the source of the numbers and to say that these um, these polls were unscientific, that these were not studies, they were questionnaires that were distributed. So all the people responding mm. were self-selected. 
right? Yeah. So it's not scientific at all, at all. Um, and then with the issue of autism, yesterday I was watching a video that popped up in my recommended. Uh, it was a psychiatrist who was talking about a study that had come out, I guess, earlier this year, maybe. And um, I started, like halfway through the video, I started to get a little bit antsy because he wasn't getting to the point. And he was making these connections that would have seemed very interesting, but my thing would have been to interrupt him and say, all right, fine, this is all very interesting, but why is this happening now? Why now? Why is it that we have had kids diagnosed with autism for a very long time? Autism is not a new diagnosis, but why is it that now this is happening? And why is it that so many girls in particular are on the spectrum and attending these clinics. And I still haven't found an answer to that. Is anybody even bothering to look into it? Well, I mean, I'm really interested in the autism thing too. And I've done a few videos on autism specifically. Um, like, uh, I mean, the suicide study, you're, you're completely right. It was based on 27 self-selected people. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, it's an absolute nonsense. Um, and Michael Biggs is the, is, the, is the study to look at if people want to see a really good um, smash <laughs> and takedown of, of those suicide data. But the autism thing is, uh, is fascinating, isn't it? Um, and it, I, it's a big area of interest to me because I don't think people are looking at it in the correct way. Because what I think they're doing is they're, they're bearing in mind this is an enormous spectrum of people. But what they were often doing is they were applying one set of uh, uh, knowledge, um, usually based on people uh, at one side of the spectrum, and they're trying to apply it to people at the other side of the spectrum. Um, and they're, if you look on, on the internet, you'll find a lot of autism um, uh, activists um, are even more militant than trans rights activists, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of how much they have bought into gender identity. And similarly, mm -hmm. so have all of the uh, charities. And basically what they're saying is, um, isn't this nice that all of these autistic people have got this special gender identity and not one of them have applied any critical thinking or analysis to it? Right. But so what I would say is, A, um, I think that, and what I've tried to sort of, highlight in and I've tried to break it down because there are other a there are lots of comorbidities that run alongside autism there are other things like alexithemia for example What's um, that? but um it's basically um an, uh, an inability to process or describe emotions in the same way as other people do mm -hmm. um and uh it's quite a serious issue because I deal with a lot of parents who've got children who've got rapid onset gender dysphoria when right. I ask them what their children are saying about them they usually say they're not saying much at all they can't get through to them and often it's not because the kids isn't necessarily wanting to it's actually because they have autism and they have alexithemia and they don't actually have the language or the ability to talk about how it is they feel um but um so just kind of thinking about the autism side of it. So people with special interests um, in autism are really vulnerable to cults and to, um, A, they find making friends difficult. Mm -hmm. They will research things to the absolute nth degree and become subject <laughs> right. specialists at it. 
they will have issues with gender uh, and sexuality often. Um, and they, uh, because of the difficulty of making friends, what essentially is that they're now making friends together in mm -hmm. the group of the new cult mm -hmm. uh, and they're finding acceptance. They have sensory difficulties. So issues around binding, for example, the, the male, more male clothes for, for girls, um, not having to go down the traditionally, because of course, now you're working on these traditional feminine stereotypes, working no one feels fully female or male but they especially may not want to wear makeup or girly type clothes because they will not uh, relate in the same way that other girls are going through this pubertal adolescent mm -hmm. process because you've got this all you've you've got this body dysmorphic disorders you've got eating disorders population um who have almost been supplanted into this new mm -hmm. trans population. And then you've also got a question whether or not trans is actually a new autism diagnosis for some of these kids, because oh. in the highlight, sorry. Did interesting. You no, that, yeah. I, I just never thought of that before. That's interesting. Um, so in the high levels of, um, if people are interested in this a bit more, there's a really good report actually on, on an organization called Transgender Trend. And they've got a really fabulous report by a woman called Jane Galloway, which is on um, autism. Um, and she t tells the whole tale of, of the UK situation. Um, essentially in the population that came to the gender identity service in London, um, the significantly high population of autism, uh, girls with autism, um, you know, they're just absolutely blowing the budget, uh, even though only 1% mm -hmm. of the population has autism. And so because there's such a long waiting list um, for autism diagnosis in the UK, it's absolutely when you look at the traits and when you hear the stories or read the stories from these young people on Reddit or, you know, where, whichever social media platform, they're all telling exactly the same tale. They're all, you know, this sort of classically kind of geeky kid telling the same thing. And you're just thinking, I absolutely think this kid's probably on the spectrum. And, um, you know, so there's there's that. And then there's also the issue of, you know, A, social media, what that's right. done to this generation. B, COVID and what happened mm -hmm. when they were all in their bedrooms for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, pornography, mm -hmm. the impact of this on adolescent girls and, um, you know, right. this huge pressure for, for them to conform and have perfect bodies and have things like labiaplasties and, mm -hmm. you know, to... Um, shave their um, genitals and to basically be uh, pretend that they are these um, pornified versions for 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 partners, and then you have, of course, in schools, them being taught that about porn and about um, you know anal sex and about all of this you know queer culture uh, and sex positivity. Mm -hmm. Um, and you've got the hookup cultures and anime and manga and all these different, you know, it's these this these young people have been through a change that we've never mm -hmm. seen before. Right. Um, I mean, it's mind blowing. 
Um, well, see, the thing much. is, there are people. There are people. I just want to point out uh, for people who are going to be listening to this on the streaming services, there are people in chat who are pointing out that their sons have never experienced this. But what we're talking about specifically now is girls, and why it is that so yeah, many girls, why girls are so susceptible to this, especially when you have a fifty-three hundred percent increase. That's five thousand three hundred percent increase in young women, many of whom are on the autism spectrum, attending these clinics. And you you have to wonder. Okay, um, is it internalized misogyny? Is it the pressures of the culture? Is it social media? Is it Tumblr? Because you mentioned, Isla, in, in a couple of your videos, how you were a tomboy. You had a shaved head and Doc Martens. You know, I was a goth chick with the Doc Martens and with the pointy-toed boots and everything. Um, not a single one of my friends in the 80s was gender-conforming. None of them. All the boys, you know, ran around with the, the eyeliner and people wore makeup and nobody cared, right? Uh, but nobody in that group of people ever said, I am a woman. And if you called your male gay friend she or girl or Miss Thing or something, it was a term of endearment. It wasn't a statement about them being women. And they knew they weren't women, obviously, and they were happy to be men. But for there to be this sea change now, I mean, look, I don't know about you, but I, when I went to see West Side Story, and I saw that they had turned the character of anybody's into a trans, uh, into somebody transgender. I was crushed. I mean, look, as a as a young woman, um, I idolized anybody's. I thought that she was the coolest character. She could dance. She could fight. She could hang out with the boys. And um, I thought she was great. And she was such a sort of um, revolutionary character in musical theater to see a woman like that and now to say well the reason that she behaved that way was that she was really male inside no she wasn't she was a tomboy and so tomboys are being erased and and that that whole mm. experience of being a tomboy which is so valuable was so valuable to so many of us which taught so many of us independence let us live outside of the group think out of group stereotypes and now i mean i shudder to think what if i had been in school now would my teachers have pulled my parents in and told them that i was really a boy and i needed to go and get put on testosterone it's very 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 scary it's very frightening it um i think i haven't got my reading glasses on which is why i kind of missed them um the chat mm -hmm. going back to the boys um in the early part of the um the, the the small amount of research that we do have in the uk uh what what this the amount of boys was was really tiny and they'd been there for quite a long period of time um mm -hmm. and the they have kind of got a bit lost obviously in this exponential rise of, of girls but what we know about some of the boys um uh is that some of them will go on to have autogynophilia right um and, and if you wouldn't mind explaining that, for the people in chat who don't know what autogynophilia is well um i do actually have quite a few boys uh parents with with uh, male uh children who are now identifying as female essentially um it is a an arousal a sexual fetish where they are, are they fetishize their the idea of themselves as being a female right. um and that is one of the biggest parts of the whole transgender you know uh 
arena, if you like. It is by far the biggest component of it. Um, and and I've, I've seen a lot of, but I've seen trans rights activists claim that autogynephilia doesn't exist, that it's a yeah. made up term. But they, they, are, they similarly, they don't believe, you know, they won't, they don't believe in rapid onset gender dysphoria or right. they don't believe in biology either, though. So, you know, you're right. <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> um, you know, well, I just wanted to say, by the way, that the, the lady who um, the researcher who came up with the term um, rapid onset gender dysphoria is a yeah. woman named Laura Littman. Laura Littman used to be an associate professor at Brown University. She published her study. Yeah. Um, and there was a torrent of abuse and criticism and Brown to their great dismay. And I, I say this to my great dismay because Brown is one of my alma maters decided to take the study down and they have not stopped trying to stuff the toothpaste back in the tube ever since they keep on trying to say, well, no, we don't actually, um, we, we are in favor of academic freedom. We believe in all that, but. And you know, when somebody says something with a but, that means forget everything that I just said, and this is what I really believe. So um, I understand that Laura Littman is now doing her research independently. She's formed her own organization, so she's not subject to the whims of universities and deans and public pressure and all that, which is good. Um, but Le she, um, mm -hmm. go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say it's Lisa. Yeah, she. Um, Lisa. Hello. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Academics have absolutely suffered terribly in, in this. It's so difficult for them to get their work out there. It really is. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But you can get her her papers online if anyone's more interested in them. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. They are quite fascinating that she's she put her head above the parapet and good good for her, you know. She did. She did. But, you know, it's it's hard to look at all this happening and not suspect and not suspect that there is a social contagion aspect to it because we have seen social contagions before. I've seen many social contagion movements. And to see now that, um, again, when, when we get back to the issue of uh, the connection between autism and girls and uh, the number of how many more girls are attending these clinics, and nobody seems to be saying, why now? Because the answer would have to include social contagion. It would have to include social media. That has to be an element of it. Um, and it's, I don't know, I, I find that talking about, especially talking about what's happening with young people mm. is... It is so crushing because you cannot, I mean, you would have to have a heart of stone to listen to the stories that are told by the detransitioners and mm -hmm. not have a, a twinge, a twinge. I mean, I read this absurd comment today uh, under a video where a guy was saying, well, actually the fact is, and we know this to be true, which means that he just made it up. We know this to be true, that the reason that so many people are detransitioning is because they face so much discrimination in housing after transitioning and they detransition because otherwise they'd end up homeless. That is preposterous. There is no evidence for that. There mm. is no evidence for that, but this is like obviously a propaganda point that is circulating um, to kind of downplay the severity of the damage that these kids have had done to them. 
And I say have done to them because they're too young to make a decision that is that serious, that life altering. And mm. when you were talking before about the issue of the lawsuits, um, couldn't the parents make an argument that they they could not give informed consent to these clinics under the circumstances that presented themselves? They were lied to about the damage that was the long term damage done by puberty blockers. They were lied to mm. about the long term effects of hormones. I mean, this is something that we can see. We can mm. study this. So wouldn't that well, be something that the parents could try? Well, I think that there's two things there. We definitely need to talk about lesbian, gay, bisexual kids because right. I think the majority of these will turn out to be LGB kids. And what we know mm -hmm. is that a lot of them, this is essentially about transing the gay away. Um, right. And maybe we can kind of come back to that after I answer yeah. part two of that question. Essentially, I think you're entirely right. Um, and one of the things, because you know we've gone back and forth in the UK about the issue of puberty blockers and the the, uh, the legal cases, and they've gone all the way. Um, and what's essentially happened now is we've got the we've had this uh, this wonderful team uh, led by a Dr. Hilary Cass, who is trying to change the future of NHS uh, model of care for uh, young people in the UK. But essentially, mm -hmm. uh, as part of that progress, uh, they've, we've just gone through this consultation, which is the interim service specification. But puberty blockers are still on the table as mm -hmm. part of a research process. Now, arguably, and I would strongly argue this, this is my absolutely strong belief, that children can never consent to sterility, to never being able to orgasm. Um, to having their right. fertility taken away. They can never, uh, as a child, understand what that means. Uh, and for, you know, brain development, bone thinning, osteoporosis, um, mm -hmm. they can never consent. So I think you could be right that there, that there could be, um, uh, that could be an issue. But um, as we know, lawfare in the UK compared to the US is, is very different. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm kind of watching, for instance, what's going on with this woman, Sib, Sib Gallagher, over over your neck of the woods. You know, you've got this Irish doctor in, she in um, Miami, who's committing all of these heinous um, butchering um, breast removals on these right. children, and she advertises on TikTok. I mean, yes. I'd be I'd be interested to see whether or not you know parents or people sue her in America mm -hmm. and whether that's easier for them to take legal action against her because mm -hmm. obviously your processes are very very different to ours um, so far we have not had one single uh, case go all the way but what we have got is solicitors um, uh, lawyers trying to get cases together so they're trying mm -hmm. to get a thousand cases to do mm -hmm. a kind of class action right. um, but we don't know you know how that's going to go uh but what we do know is that we that if we have the if we go down the affirmative model and we give these kids drugs that that's a harmful approach mm -hmm. whereas if we do watchful waiting mm -hmm. uh well if we do the affirmative model the majority of them will then go on to cross sex hormones and they will mm -hmm. they will fully transition whereas if we mm -hmm. do watchful waiting most right. of them will desist and they will go right. through puberty and they will become they will 
go into their sexed bodies and settle down. But what we're not doing is teaching kids any kind of resilience at all, you know, mm -hmm. to learn any coping strategies at school. And, and that this is an entirely normal part of puberty and adolescence and growing up. Mm -hmm. Instead, what we're doing is we're absolutely throwing the queer book at them and we're indoctrinating them and we're getting them from the age of three and we're teaching them that you can be born in the wrong body, you can mm -hmm. be non-binary and we've got the whole country is in an absolute mess. Um, mm -hmm. Wales has totally lost its mind, so has Scotland. And in England, uh, you know, there was like, there's a, for instance, there was a case with a Christian family, a church of, taking the Church of England to court uh, because they removed their child who was three, in fact. That's what the example that I was just talking about. Um, but um, arguing the gender critical position is actually incredibly complicated. Uh, and so they haven't got that far in it. We've got the Welsh government completely paid up to the gender lobby and of course, Scotland has lost its mind. So... I have to tell you, Isla, I, I have been sitting back and I've been listening to Clive and Dennis talk about it. And I've heard Robbie talk about it. And I've heard Barry talk about it. And I've got you, a Scot here. Yeah. I can, I can, t I can tell you, honestly, that I have never in my life seen anything like what I am seeing happening in Scotland right now. Yeah. Um, I, I am watching Nicola Sturgeon and I am astonished by what is going on in Scotland. Um, I, I have wondered so many times and I've gotten about a thousand different answers. So I'm guessing nobody has, um, nobody, nobody has an answer to this. Not really, but why Nicola Sturgeon would pick this to be the hill to die on the political hill to die on. And not only that, but when you look at the polling in Scotland, and the Scottish public is not in favor of these changes by an overwhelming majority that in the polls that I've seen. And yet you have Nicola Sturgeon and, and forget the Greens. I know they're crazy and I know that she's being outflanked on the left and all that, but it doesn't matter. When you look at somebody like Nicola Sturgeon and you think to yourself, why in the world would this woman basically you know, move away from her mandate, which is Scottish Scottish independence, and instead put all of her eggs into this basket. I, I am, I'm absolutely amazed by it, truly. Well, it is, it is in fact the same basket because what she wants mm -hmm. is young people. This is the only reason she's doing it. She doesn't mm -hmm. care, really. This is about getting a new voter uh, because she wants shot of the old voters because she's sitting, she's teetering on the 50%. Um, and of course, she's got all of us old generation X's holding her right. back. So if she mm -hmm. if she gets this new lot of youngsters in who are absolutely lapping up the gender identity nonsense, mm -hmm. then that'll take her up. And then she's hoping to, be able to then push forward her independence because that's all she wants. Nicola Sturgeon, okay. in my mind, not that I want a whole load of Scottish people, because nation, nationalism is like the, the, is the, if you want to get a load of hate thrown at you, just sign up for trans activism, autism activism, or Scottish nationalism, and then people start hunting you down. But basically, right. in my in my mind, 
it's it, just about independence for Nicola. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but this has got I'm I'm beside myself for the women uh, and children of Scotland um, at the moment. Um, it is astonishing to me. Uh, it really, really is. It's desperate. Mm-hmm. Now you had spoken um, about um, transing the gay away, and this is one of the reasons why so many gay activists, so many more gay activists are picking up the standard and saying, that's enough. This is conversion therapy. I mean, Dennis and I have been having this conversation for years now that um, conversion therapy is no longer just, you know, some religious figure standing over you and giving you, you know, conducting an exorcism or berating you or, um, you know, doing aversion therapy or something like that. Now it comes in it comes wrapped in the ribbon of be kind. It comes wrapped in the ribbon of civil rights and it comes wrapped in the ribbon of um, progressive, progressive politics too. So whereas before it was entirely the domain of the hard right religious zealots and the parents who did not want a gay child. Now you've got religious parents or you've got parents who just don't want a gay child who can say, Oh, well, here's a solution. So my little boy who likes to play with dolls and likes to put on mama's makeup and her high heels, which is something that many boys do uh, that doesn't turn them into girls. And it doesn't even necessarily mean they're gay. It just means that they're playing and experimenting. But now you've got these parents who have a great out, you know, whether you're Susie Green or whether you are any of these other types of parents, you can say, oh, hooray. Now I have an explanation for why my kid is behaving this way and look there's a whole way to medicate him out of whatever it is that he is supposed to be that he is not so um it's terrifying it really is it's almost like they've um it's almost like it's going to become extinct um homosexuality right. because of course if you're bringing on a new generation um, for instance, I saw a, a, a poster um, in a school the other day, uh, and uh, it was all about queer, trans, a million other different words, uh, and there was no LG or B at all. Right. It'd literally right. been erased from uh, from it because, of course, if you've got a gender identity, then you can't have a same sex attraction, right? Because you have say if you've got same gender attraction attraction and you've got 110 genders then it's just nonsense isn't it so basically mm-hmm. there are no there will be no more gay lesbian bisexual people because mm-hmm. you will just have all of these mad genders including i mean one of the things which is incredibly frustrating is all a it's magical thinking i believe right you know i don't have a gender identity Mm -hmm. um but one of the things which is incredibly harmful and how it kind of interacts with the the um mental health and uh, the comorbidities is the opting into um mental health diagnoses which we've seen really uh, manifest uh, ma- manifested through things like tiktok where you've now got all these children who think they've got um uh, extreme personality disorders multiple personality disorders tics um asd um adhd and they're all identifying into these things and now you have autigender which is uh, you can uh, autism as a gender identity so you can 
decides to have autism. Now, oh, I see. as someone okay. who's on, yeah, so as someone who's on the spectrum, I would not wish to, um, if people really knew what it was like to live in on another planet um, mm -hmm. where people really do not understand you, I would not wish I would not wish that as something that, that you would just opt into. Um, mm -hmm. But this is the nature of, um, you know, the flippancy that's come along with um, social media, etc. Um, you know, it really is incredibly dangerous. But, you know, LGB kids are the, are the ones which I'm particularly working incredibly hard with in terms of schools, because it's something where if you keep dragging the head teachers and teachers back to the issue about so, for instance, if they have a, 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 a one of these clubs that they set up um, <laughs> for children, um, you say, "Well, how do you mean? How do you ensure that, for instance, uh, a tomboy lesbian or a, or an effeminate gay uh, young man um, doesn't get convinced that they are actually born in the wrong body and that they actually need to transition?" And of course, they don't think about that because they are not there to build solid boundaries and make that person feel empowered to be a healthy gay man or a healthy young lesbian. Because of course, there's that's all being erased, uh, and mm -hmm. it's a serious issue. I mean, I love that's why I love um, you know working, speaking to people like Robbie uh, and Barry, and and I obviously know um, Dennis. Uh, from Twitter and uh, Clive, I've watched his videos and stuff. Mm -hmm. We can't we can't talk about this enough, really. Uh, and mm -hmm. one of the reasons I'm re recording videos is I have this probably slightly old-fashioned old lady idea that by laying down small tracks, if you like, nuggets of other bits of information for young people to maybe stroll into, then maybe they'll find that there's another message. Mm -hmm. you know that, that that could maybe if it gives one kid hope you know that mm -hmm. that there's another way then that, it's been worth it basically mm -hmm. yeah. well this is well one thing that i did want to bring up with you and since you are a you're you are yourself a medical person um i think that we are also forgetting or perhaps many people are not aware of how frequently women are misdiagnosed with mm. uh conditions so, for example, I have been misdiagnosed with the following, bipolar disorder, um, narcolepsy, osteoarthritis, fibromyalgia, um, and then there, was, there were a couple more. And what I had was cancer. And right. it, it, wasn't un, it wasn't until I went to a gastroenterologist and he took a look at my distended abdomen and my skeletal legs and arms and my face sunken in he took one look at me he ordered a ct scan and that was the end of the story right hmm. but none of these other doctors were sort of trained holistically to be able to look at the package and say hmm. well you know she's got all these symptoms and they're very widely varying but my god look at that abdomen you know, mm. and it's not because she's obese, because she has a big abdomen and she's not pregnant. So could mm. it be something in the abdomen? Maybe it's pancreatic cancer, maybe, you know, something like that, right? But this happens a lot, I've noticed. And I used to notice all the time that women were, at a, were being diagnosed with fibromyalgia at a much higher rate, which of course then resulted in prescriptions for pain pills, 
and that sort of thing. Um, I did a video uh, last year about the um, the phenomenon of Sybil and how after the book and the movie came out that more and more women who were going in to talk to psychiatrists about depression and anxiety related primarily to domestic issues, childbirth, miscarriages, postpartum depression, were being um, diagnosed with uh, multiple personality disorder. And it was mm. predominantly women who were being misdiagnosed with that condition, which mm. is, we all know is extremely rare. And a lot of psychiatrists don't even believe it exists. It's very, very controversial. So given the fact that women are always at risk for being misdiagnosed both with physical and mental ailments that they do not have and put on drugs that they don't need, it seems to me paramount that we do make that clear-cut distinction between the sexes. As you well know, our bodies are not built the same. Mm. Our physiologies are uh, not the same. I'm, I'm devastated that that happened to you. I mean, it's just so... It's so... I hear so many stories like that. It's awful. I'm really sorry. Um, I mean, th this is um, uh, this is kind of one of the things that drove me into teaching um, because I trained thousands of nurses, um, and at the time, the, I think that they were incredibly good, kind, caring um, people, and I still believe that they are. But the problem with the way that our healthcare system is set up is it's never been holistic, right? It's always right. been very system orientated. So you will mm -hmm. go and see an endocrinologist or a cardiac specialist, or you know, or it's all very one dimensional. We've never operated in a way which is been is holistic, and mm -hmm. so they will literally say you, you know, you'll go and say, well, I've got this and that and the other, and they go, oh, nothing to do with me, love, you know, right. Um, so that leads to situations like you've experienced because undoubtedly um these things are, are interlinked um mm -hmm. you know we know that autoimmune systems you know are, are, are overlap with other things um i mean there's a great some great books by Irvin um uh hoffman um who talks about women in asylums you know the, the kind of interesting thing that about women and their mental health always being taught, treated like they're hysterical. I mean, it goes, it's, it's as old as the test of time, isn't it? Um, and I, in many respects, I think the whole borderline personality disorder has been a bit of a get out of jail thing for some of them, just saying, you know, you're essentially hysterical love. So here's a little label for you to go away with. Mm -hmm. But is it actually? Because actually, if you look at the symptoms, there's a lot of, um, certainly in terms of autism uh, and borderline personality, um, actually they sit just <laughs> like that with each other. I did not know that. Their yeah, their presentation. You should have a look into it. Um, huh. uh, and um, because in autism, you can have high suicidality, you know, anxiety, depression, all sorts of different mental health problems. Um, you know, anyway, have a little look. Um, but, uh, yeah, similarly, I despair. And I think women have always suffered from this and it can, it's only going to get worse now because we've yeah. essentially be become non-women. You know, we are, our sex class is, you know, it, it's not just being erased. It has been erased for us. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know how, it, how that's going for you in the States at the moment, uh, in terms of language, but certainly over here, um, 
with self-ID. It's pretty much a done deal. Well, so. I can tell you that um, I know that I, I can't remember if it was Barry. I, it may have been Barry uh, who expressed admiration for the fact that parents in this country uh, can go to these council meetings and they can go to these PTA meetings. And in some cases, these meetings are televised. They're public. And yeah. so we can see parents who are absolutely livid at what is happening in the schools. Parents who are furious because they don't want teachers going behind their backs. And a lot of these parents have been vilified. Now, granted, a lot of these parents have not conducted themselves with great, you know, let's just say that when when adults are highly agitated over their kids, sometimes yeah, yeah. The, the language that is used can be a little bit you know, harsh. But the point is that um, this country is very, very different. I mean, we are built differently than you guys. For one thing, we do not have nationalized health care. OK, so mm -hmm. we don't have a system where you get an edict from on high and then that edict, that system, that standard is implemented immediately across every hospital and in every doctor's office across the country. And as a matter of fact, um, there are a lot of doctors in this country that are now refusing to take Medicare uh, because the allowances or the, the amounts that they're paid by the government are so low that a lot of them are forming these boutique practices where you pay a, a membership fee, which means that you get greater access to the doctor, you get more time with them, and the practices are smaller because so many of them have been consumed by larger medical conglomerates, you know. And we bitch a lot about our medical care in this country, and with good reason. It's extremely expensive. It is not uniformly accessible. Uh, if you live in a poor area, the chances that you're going to get good, medic decent medical treatment are pretty are not as good, let's say, as if you live somewhere else. Uh, people go into debt when they get very sick, and all of that is horrible, and we can all agree on it. However, the other side of the coin is what you guys are dealing with in the UK when you say that you have a waiting list of over 6 million people um, mm. That is something that's incomprehensible to Americans. We cannot imagine a situation where we have to wait years for an operation or we have to wait mm. years to see a specialist, you know, so that's not comprehensible mm. to us. So it's it's different in that regard with us. It's bonkers, isn't it? Um, I mean, I, we are uh, there's been quite a lot of um, conversation and, and sort of light envy about your parents school boards where people say oh I wish we had those and we could all go right. along and have a good rant have a good rant <laughs> you know um and you know you could having if you've seen a few of my videos you know I, I like a good rant because I'm Scottish <laughs> and we we are experts at a good rant you know when we get mm -hmm. a bit of our blood going but um the um the thing is that what we've got is um Parents are being treated as hostiles at the moment, and they're being secretly trans by the schools. Mm -hmm. um, and if the if the parents are saying, "Look, I don't want my kids their name changed. Uh, I have parental responsibility," mm -hmm. uh, the kids, the parent, the, the 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 schools are uh, supporting the, the the kids to do unenrolled deed poll changes and change their names. They're getting right. them secret binders from places like Mermaids. Right. Um, they are in some cases they were getting them uh, referred without with their parents' consent for gender dysphoria diagnosis. This was before. Hopefully, it's going to stop now with CAS getting involved. Um, mm -hmm. We've got um, them being taught all sorts of absolute 
you know, grimness around pornography um, and this, you know, queer theory. Um, mm -hmm. We've got kids who've, parents who've been reported to social services because uh, of, you know, not agreeing to um, transition. And they've, despite the fact they're saying, you know, watchful waiting is the way to right. go. Uh, mm -hmm. Have you looked at the cast review? Have you looked at the evidence? The schools are just ignoring it. And they're saying, we're not, we're, we're just waiting for the government. <laughs> and of course, the government are not doing anything because they're listening to all the lobby groups and they're sitting mm -hmm. on the fence. And so, mm -hmm. you know, parents are basically being vilified yet similarly being treated as being transphobic, being punished. Um, and it's the biggest thing I keep coming back to for people who are kind of um, not in the know about safeguarding is that if you've got a child um, who has is getting in punished for misgendering or correctly sexing, um, that's not fair. Uh, and some children with special educational needs, for example, will have a particular difficulty with, you know, say what you see. If you see a man, but you've got to call them a woman, you're going to have mm -hmm. difficulty saying miss. And men bringing their fetish to work, you know, mm -hmm. with prosthetic boobs, like the guy in Canada, he's a, a good example, right. you know, the guy with the massive prosthetic boobs, etc. Mm -hmm. um, you know, kids having to call him miss is the absolute epitome of gaslighting and correct you the thing is one of the things which we argue a lot about is when when adults are saying well for my trans friends i will call them she uh, uh or he um and i understand their arguments for that but what I would say back to them is that because as adults, we have a responsibility to role model for children. We also have to think about the most vulnerable people. And so if women in prison, for instance, are getting time added to their sentences, if right. they misgender, um, and if children are being punished because they, if they misgender, then surely we need to act as a team on their behalf for the most vulnerable. So not, not think about our privilege, but think of in all at all times about the worst off, and that's how Correct. I apply my thinking in the way I work. And I know that a lot of people, you know, that's controversial, and a lot of people would have a real go at me over that. But that's essentially where I kind of how I come at it. Um, Listen, I am still astonished that all the bullshit that I was forced to learn in college in the eighties, okay. But I was in a liberal arts program. I was an English lit major. And so the the infection of uh, post-structuralism and post-modernism had already entered uh, through the English departments, and then it spread to the sociology departments. And it went, It mostly it stayed in the liberal arts field, okay? But the fact that it is finally spread into STEM and into uh, the medical profession, to me, is probably one of the most terrifying developments I can imagine. I mean, look, I bitch and moan all the time about how um, I don't feel that I was properly educated in school, certainly not for what my parents paid for me to study. But, you know, you can always make up for that later. I mean, it's only books. You know, you can always go back and you can read the classics on your own and you can watch lectures on YouTube now from very interesting people. But when it comes to medicine, that is a totally different thing. That is talking about life and death. 
That is a question of who gets treated, who doesn't get treated, who gets put in the front of the line, who gets put in the back of the line, who gets raped in a single sex ward. And so now it's no longer fun and games. Now it's no longer a question of feeling like you didn't get what you paid for. Now it's a question of actual physical and mental safety. And that, I think, is probably one of the most terrifying. I mean, aside from children being experimented on, this business of having doctors co-signing this, pushing this, health professionals pushing this, um, and the patients are left to either suck it up and take it or do what exactly? What are you supposed to do if you if you don't have the money to go for private care or leave the country to get treatment? Then what the hell are you supposed to do? You're trapped. It's terrifying. Mm. Did you? Um, there was a couple of um, uh, cases in uh, D Danish detransitioners who had um, voluntary euthanasia uh, mm -hmm. because yeah. they were unhappy with their um, the results of their transition. Um, mm -hmm. And one of them made a documentary, which is available. I can't remember what, what how I found it. Uh, it was subtitled. You had to pay a small amount for it. It's one of the saddest, most devastating things I've ever watched. It, I, mm -hmm. I cried my eyes out for this uh, woman who um, basically took had her life. She gave up her life because of the abomination that had been committed on her body and because she couldn't deal with the mental distress uh, of, of, you know, uh, the torture that was left in her mind. Um, and, yeah, you know, I care very much about people's mental health and their well-being, and I, I can't deal with suffering one way, you know, whoever they are. And I do believe... You know, I do care about people who call themselves trans people, even though I don't believe in I don't believe in transgenderism. I believe in men, women, girls and boys. But I do mm -hmm. care that that people feel mental distress. I do mm -hmm. care that they. Um, but but I think I like, you know, as someone with the kind of academic background, I like to take a step back and, and look at the bigger picture of what's going on. And I have a lot of questions about what they're being fed, how it's being mm -hmm. fed to them. And I and I don't accept a lot of the narratives. Uh, I don't accept a lot of the the um, organizations that are peddling a lot of the things, you know, like WPATH, for instance, like, you know, I don't believe that eunuchs are a thing. They, sh you know, that, that they're a gender identity. I believe that people are being butchered. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, we, sometimes I think we're one step forward and then we're many steps back. But, um, you know, there's a lot of distressed people caught up in this. That is for sure. Um, but yeah, that... Your friend, your friend, the lady who wrote um, Born in the Right Body. Yes. Um, now, she's I awesome. heard your interview. I heard your interview with her and she was talking because apparently she's a psychiatrist and she was talking she is, yeah. about case about cases of people of detransitioners or people who had gone through transition who have come to her expressing very, very serious suicidal ideations because what they expected to happen after the surgery is not what ended up happening. So um, are you aware of any 
studies, any stats or anything like that on people who have gone through the transition and who then end up worse off or who end up, um, you know, with serious, uh, with, with who end up having suicidal ideations or God forbid committing suicide. Has anybody done any looking into that issue? There is, I think she, I think she probably did talk about, um, uh, mental health outcomes not actually changing um, and that people still being incredibly unhappy and in fact it didn't uh, present them with the solutions uh, that they thought it would. In fact I just uh, put out a detransitioner video today um, and for a lot of them I think that they, they are sold it like it's going to be a new beginning and it's something that right. they can run away from and it's almost particularly for young people who feel bad about their lives because of course a lot of them have been abused they're from looked after care they're from very difficult social backgrounds um you know they might have had a parental death or a whole host of different issues mm -hmm. so it's the idea of of uh, reinventing yourself is is hugely enticing but the studies that that have been done and of remembering that that um they have been ha hampered hugely um by everything that we've talked about before, uh, have shown that actually outcomes are not improved and that people still have feel bad and they still have suicidal ideation. If not, mm -hmm. for some of them it's worse because now they have these medical harms because you've got fistulas, incontinence, nerve damage, um, you know, uh, uh, stomas, um, untold, you know, uh, these uh, voids i'm not going to call them vaginas because they're not vaginas they're you know mm -hmm. voids from colon colonoplasties or right. inverted penises with untold medical problems etc you know that and so it goes on so they're still suffering from uh and then of course are they going to be accepted I mean, if you an interesting way of looking at this is on the other side of the fence, if you because I do a lot of research um, if, because of the school's work in I if you look at some porn channels, you'll find that a lot of uh, porn settings, um, you'll have like a thousand or so videos in a genre. But if you look at mm -hmm. um, uh, trans porn uh, on the one one that I looked at when I was having a, a look for this information, it had 42,000 um, videos on just on trans porn. That's, now that's only that's, that's in the last year that's just, just gone like that. Whoosh. So right. there's a lot of people, probably a lot of straight men looking at trans porn, I, I would surmise. Um, you know, it, it is taken off. And I think there is where people finding acceptance if in the general population you know you mentioned earlier about um you know how you know fitting into communities etc i'm not sure that there i think the rest of the population certainly over here are actually still too scared to speak out on it because they're mm -hmm. they don't want to get cancelled or lose their jobs because right. that's a major threat um, yeah, but I think they are they are finding acceptance within the, this queer thing that they've formed, this rainbow thing, um, mafia, if you like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but I think the rest of the population is still keeping their head down, mm -hmm. um, and there's very few people who are like doing this, you know, like we're doing now. 
putting your head above the parapet and talking on it. This is, you know, yeah. it's a, it's quite a big thing. Well, look, I, I, um, I was too afraid to speak out on this subject for a long time. And I started sort of tinkering around the edges last year. Uh, I floated some trial balloons. And when it came to this year, I decided I didn't care anymore because I thought that we had reached a stage of red alert that was too serious and too evident to ignore anymore. And I understand completely why people are so afraid to say anything. I get it. I get it. People mm -hmm. have seen uh, outspoken individuals lose their jobs, mostly women, lose their jobs, get their houses picketed, threatened, rape threats, beaten up, assaulted. Um, they've seen what has happened and they've, they don't want to be branded as bigots, as some kind of a phobe. Um, nobody wants to be branded that. That's terrible. What a scarlet letter in society. But I've decided, and I think a number of other people have decided now as well, that um, it doesn't matter if you brand those of us who think this way with some kind of an epithet, if you hurl epithets at us, if you call us something that we're not. What matters is that there is a wave of medical malpractice that has swept around the world that has harmed children and has harmed a lot of extremely, extremely vulnerable people. Everything from kids going through the surgery, getting medicated, having to be on medication for the rest of their lives, to women in the wards, to gay people, to women in prison. And I'm really, really glad you brought that example up because you may know that there's a class action lawsuit in California now where there are female prisoners who are suing the governor of California. And it's exactly what you were saying. You know, if a woman comes forward to the warden or to a guard and says, hey, what, what is this? There's a man here. And they're told, no, there isn't. And if you say that again, then we're going to add time to your sentence or we're going to discipline you. We're going to punish you. So not only are you being gaslighted, but you're being gaslighted behind bars and you're being mm -hmm. locked up with a dangerous predator or several even. And people will say to me, well, but there are already male guards in the prisons and maybe they're taking advantage of these women. Well, then the solution is to put rapists, murderers, and child molesters in with these women. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so you think that this is a good solution to that problem. Um, so anyway, it's, it's very frightening. And I, I know that I certainly consider myself to be one of these types of people. I get extremely irritable and upset when somebody tries to gaslight me. And it happens all the time. But with regards to this subject, you know, there's a tremendous amount of liberty and breaking out of these chains and saying, you know what, I'll be the little kid and the emperor has no clothes. I'll, I'll be that person. And then eventually, maybe if I say something, then somebody else will and somebody else will. And then we can open up the conversation and we can see things for what they really are and how they really are. But right now, there are too many people who are too afraid because the, this, this movement has taken over too many important institutions. And it is really, really terrifying. Well, I mean, it might surprise you to know that even within the the movement that uh, you know I'm working in, I would be known as as an extremist, and um, because <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's never ending.
but I don't care. Uh, you know, I just I'm just a truth teller, really. Right. Um, and I think one of the benefits of being a menopausal woman, and it's a gift that you get given, I think, when you hit your 50s, is just mm -hmm. a whole load of, uh, I literally don't care anymore. Presence. Exactly. Like, <laughs> I, I don't give a shit. I, I honestly have no filter now. Um, I mean, obviously, I've been on my best behavior today. But um, uh, you know, I, I I genuinely don't care. I'm just going to tell it like it is now, and mm -hmm. that's the way it is, and and that's the benefit. Yep. That's what we do get, which is good about being middle aged. I, I swear to God, Isla, I I have said this to my chat so many times. I've said this on Twitter. I've told people in my circle this. There is something magical about being a woman and reaching your fifties. It mm. is the most amazing thing. And then I had a hysterectomy when I was 48. So I went through menopause uh, nine years ago. And it has been so liberating to be both in my 50s and having gone through menopause. It is amazing mm. because it really does free mm. you. It is not a rumor. It is not mm. just, you know, something no, no, that it's a thing. around. It's true. <laughs> it is a thing. <laughs> So for all of you out there, all of you women out there who are like, oh my God, I can't, I don't want to go through menopause. I don't want to go through the change. I don't want to get old. It is a blessing. Trust me. And listen, now I've got backup yeah, yeah. from Isla. She can say that I'm right. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's, um, uh, yeah, it's just got to be done really. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I, what I'm trying to do in, uh, I mean, I'm a kind of unlikely YouTuber, really. Uh, you know, I'm mm -hmm. ju literally just doing it to try and reach reach uh, parents and sow a few right. seeds. It's actually really mm -hmm. difficult to build up numbers because mm -hmm. um, obviously it's not as sexy. And the funny thing is about having the boys on, um, and I absolutely love I love them dearly. Me too. But obviously Me too. they can talk they can talk the hind legs off a donkey. Um, true and uh yeah so i always you know obviously talk a lot less when, when i've got them there um mm -hmm. and um uh, and people absolutely love them and that's great and we we have we have a lot of fun and it's really mm -hmm. you know we're all helping to get the message out uh, to parents right. and the more the more we build it up on on youtube the more mm -hmm. parents out in the world will find the issues and go oh okay i'm not alone and being worried about this there are mm -hmm. people talking on it so it's right. all it's really powerful so yeah mm -hmm. great you know and um if yep. anyone wants to follow up me or hook me up on on youtube or, or twitter or, uh, and needs help or wants to chat i'm always available yeah. all of isla's socials are listed in the description box so her youtube channel and her twitter are in the description box please please do go follow her and do watch her content isla's content is so Good. I'm, I'm warning you, though, it's don't let this calm demeanor fool you because Isla is a very <laughs> passionate woman. And if I get annoyed, I'm, I'm off. <laughs> and, and her content is infuriating, but the way that she presents it is amazing. And you're going to learn a lot from Isla and you're going to learn a lot from her guests, too. So please do. Well, Isla, I want to thank you so much for being so generous with your time. Thank oh, you so much for coming on you. today. I've really enjoyed it. It's really nice to meet you and talk to you. You too. Thank you so much. Yeah, All right, Isla. Thanks. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Take care. All right, you guys. Thank you so much. Please do subscribe to Isla. She is absolutely amazing. You will love her content. You will love it. All right, guys, thank you so much for being here. I hope that you all enjoyed it. I hope you all learned something today. And we will see you the next time.
See you later.